Hello and welcome to Amplify, supporting young amputees. The Limbless Association's podcast answers all your questions about life as an amputee. The Limbless Association is a long-standing, user-led national charity that's been supporting lives beyond limb loss for over 38 years. We're here for amputees, their friends and family, clinicians, and anyone who is interested in what it's really like to be an amputee. Our activities are based on the fundamental principle that no amputee need cope alone, and we provide support to amputees and their families pre- and post-amputation. Our services include our helpline, volunteer visitor peer support, support and connect hubs, virtual events, our young ambassador programme, quarterly Step Forward magazine, and so much more. I'm your host, Ella Dove. I'm an author, journalist, and Limbless Association trustee and young ambassador lead. In 2016, I lost my right leg below the knee following a freak accident tripping over while out running. It's been a long journey to rebuild physically and mentally, but the Limbless Association was there for me throughout, helping me to feel supported, encouraged and empowered. To join the Limbless Association's community, connect with us on social media or visit our website at www.limbless-association.org. So, today's main discussion. Thank you for tuning in and listening. From March 2019, all our lives changed forever. As the COVID-19 pandemic swept the world, wreaking disaster, fear and causing intense sorrow, it cast a shadow on our lives, the like of which we've never known before. There was widespread worry and for many people, life will never be the same again. One of my guests today knows that perhaps more than anyone. Caroline Costa is a former teacher who became a quadruple amputee following COVID-19 and sepsis. Just one year on, she's not only walking, she's also raising money for the children's charity in Africa she supports. She's sewing, she's been horse riding, and she's more determined than ever to get the most from life. Welcome, Caroline. How are you today? Thank you, Ella. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Great. And my second guest on today's episode is psychological therapist Kim, who specialises in amputees and pain management and returns to us following her appearances in series one. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hi, Ella. I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for inviting me today. You are very welcome. So, Caroline, let's start by chatting to you. Before COVID hit, you were obviously a very active person um, when it came to your job, your charity work, also your love of crafting. So tell us a little bit about your life pre-COVID. Yeah, my colleagues used to say that I had more hours in the day than everyone else. I I don't think that's quite true, but I certainly used them. So I worked full time in a local school. I was head of computing and taught across the school, teaching also lots of other subjects. I loved sewing and I recycled old jeans into bags and spent most of my weekends selling those to raise money for a charity that I'm a trustee of, which works out in Kenya. Um, I also have a dog and I used to walk him, loved walking, loved reading, loved listening to music. Um, And it was a very busy and active life. I've got two grown-up daughters. Uh, My husband is a university lecturer. And we had a very happy and very busy life. Mm. And so tell me when you first had COVID, how how it sort of manifested itself? Because you, am I right in thinking you and your husband both got it? Yes, my husband got it first and I got it 
follow it from him. Uh, so I came down with it three days later. And it was actually the day that lockdown began that I developed COVID. Three days before that, my husband had. Mm. And we had every symptom. You know, we were at the stage then, I don't know if you remember, but everyone was saying, well, you know, you just go through these symptoms. There were no tests unless you were actually in hospital. So one of the issues is I've never had a positive COVID test. Mm. I've had 13 negative ones while I was in hospital and they were testing me every week, but I've never had a positive one. But we had every symptom on the NHS 111 page. Mm. You know, we were confident we had it. We phoned 111 and the advice was, yep, stay at home, manage the symptoms with paracetamol. Mm which we did. Um, we were both really poorly for a couple of weeks and then gradually started getting a bit better. But whereas my husband kept getting better, after two weeks I was still coughing and it turned out I had a chest infection. Mm. Um, we d That didn't get diagnosed for another two weeks because being a woman, I sort of soldiered on <laughs> and I will beat this by pure willpower mm. and nothing's really wrong. And, you know, we've been told this is just the illness. You will have a cough for a long time afterwards. Mm. But eventually I felt so ill I did go and see the GP. Uh, give them antibiotics, but then I started getting worse and I started being sick. I phoned and spoke to my own GP who suggested some different antibiotics. Uh, and crucially, she phoned me back two days later. Um, and by that time, I'd, I'd seen so many para, um, various staff, I'd seen paramedics and everything. But she heard how dehydrated I was and said I should go to hospital to get the dehydration treated. Mm. Went into hospital, was in A&E overnight, on oxygen, and the next morning they took me down to critical care and put me on a ventilator. Gosh, that And I be. remember, yeah, yeah, I remember very little for the next month. Wow. Uh, when I woke up and asked them to take the black gloves off my hands. Yeah. And was told they're not gloves. Those are your hands and your feet are the same, basically. Yeah. And did you know, I mean, did anyone know back then that there was this link between COVID and sepsis? Because I, I didn't know until I no. spoke to you. No, um, it's a very recently researched link, actually. Mm. Uh, I was reading some more research recently, which said that basically COVID at its end stages is the same as sepsis. Oh, gosh. You know, that's what it is. It it clumps the blood platelets which is exactly what happens in sepsis there's more white blood cells because the body goes into our overdrive mm. yeah but nobody knew that then yeah yeah and I mean after amputation that must have been an enormous shock I mean I I sound like I'm sort of understating the amount of shock and the amount of rehab you had to go through like what what was that like psychologically for you do you know what it was weird but I, I don't remember the first time they told me uh, my notes because I've had my notes to, to see what happened. And my notes say I was upset the first time in critical care. Mm. I don't remember that. I just remember later on, obviously, I must have repeated asking and being told. And I just had an immense sense of peace. Mm. Um, I know there were a lot of people praying for me. And that's what I put it down to. Um, and I said to the nurses and I said to my husband, my hands and feet don't make me who I am. Mm. And I'm still here. I knew by that stage how ill I'd been and how people hadn't expected me to survive because all the nurses and doctors, it seemed, from critical care kept coming up to the ward to see me 
because I was their miracle, they said, because they really hadn't expected any of them for me to survive. Yeah. So they kept coming up to prove to themselves that, yes, I was still here. Mm. Um, so I knew how ill I'd been and I knew I wasn't expected to live. So I, I guess I was just so grateful to be alive. Mm. And I also remember making a very conscious decision that I was going to look for the positives. Mm. And that's what I did. I'd had a lot of therapy many years ago, about 10 years of therapy for depression and anxiety, and done loads of work there that I can see were the building blocks of me coping. Mm. Because I'd done tons of work on mindfulness and accepting the here and now. Um, And that just all kicked in. Mm. You know, it was, well, I'm here. I can't change it. Let's just get on with it. And it seems like you'd come to that stage of acceptance pretty quickly then from what you've just said. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I was just determined to have a full life. And everyone who knows me says I'm very determined. Mm. And I think that's paid off because I just, you know, I was the first patient in the hospital who'd asked for the exercises to be pinned up on the wall so I could keep doing them. Mm. You know, those standard amputee exercises, the leg lifts, the towel under the knee. Anyone who's been an amputee and gone through rehab will know those. Mm. I had them pinned up on the wall so that I could do them. And I was actually told by the physio then to do less. Wow. Because I was doing too much exercise. Wow. I don't think physios say that very often. No, I don't think they do. (laughs) And so, Kim, obviously you've worked with many amputees over the years. And how important is it to to get to that acceptance stage when it comes to amputees getting their life back after limb loss? Um, Yeah, acceptance is really important and it is part of grieving. So when you're grieving for a limb and despite there is many stages um, of grief, people do not have to go through every single stage. And it's really interesting that uh, Caroline went straight to acceptance and acceptance isn't about liking, wanting or approving of the current situation. It's about this is how it is at this present moment. Okay, Mm. Um, so it's very mindful and acceptance can be ongoing. So you can be quite accepting one minute and then something happens and then that acceptance disappears for a little while or becomes less. Okay, but acceptance is very to reach acceptance. It's different for absolutely everyone. And acceptance is part of grieving just as much as the other stages, which include bargaining, denial, you know, this is not happening, um, anger, which people are often really frightened of, but it's a really, really normal emotion, depression. And then uh, we talk about acceptance at the at the end, though you do not have to go through all the different stages uh, in grief. Some people will often skip stages or they go backwards and forwards between different stages. But obviously, everybody is very different and there's no right or wrong way. Mm. Every And it's about getting that support while people have gone through such a traumatic, traumatic time, which Caroline, obviously, you have just... Just mm. just amazing um, how you've coped. Really mm. brilliant. And how do you, as a therapist, navigate people through those stages and, and sort of help, the, help to move them towards that all-important acceptance? I mean, the main, the, the main thing is just listening 
um, because often as a therapist, uh, we are the neutral person and loved ones will reassure you. We all do this. We, when my family or friends um, are distressed, I will reassure them. I don't go into therapist mode, but sometimes actually just talking through um, and to normalise some of those symptoms, so depression and anger is really, really important. And knowing there's no right or wrong way for people to really, truly understand that. Also, it's about compassion, you know, for teaching people. People, we're so uncompassionate to ourselves. The things we say to ourselves, we will never, ever say to our worst enemies. Mm. And so actually doing lots of work, again, it, it's good for everybody not just for amputees but if you wouldn't say it to a friend who is going through what you're going through or going through something similar then you shouldn't be saying it to yourself okay and it becomes automatic we automatically are so hard on ourselves and self-care isn't self-indulgent okay you know being kind to yourself is definitely not self-indulgent it's really really important self-care so it is about being open and having that safe place to talk whether that is through a therapist or through a family member Mm. or a friend it's Mm. really really important to have that safe space to talk about what's happened and to make room for all those emotions that are all always normal but can be very very frightening and those normal thoughts we we're often quite self-critical but it's absolutely important for people to realize just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true Mm. our our mind tells us all sorts of weird and wonderful things that aren't necessarily true so yeah it's I mean it changes it is about every everybody's support is very very different very Mm. very different but good psychoeducation on a so people understand that the understand the grieving process okay that there's no right or wrong way to grieve and there's no set amount of time because clients often say well I should feel better between you know by now or Mm -hmm. my family think I should be better by now and and it's getting people and families to realize that everybody is really different and Mm -hmm. families of obviously grieve as well yeah and so Caroline I wanted to ask you a bit about your support network did I mean did you have psychological help or was it more to do with talking to friends and family what what was it for you that helped um I had a lot of support from friends and family um I was offered psychological support when I was in my local hospital but I I declined it really because I didn't feel I needed it Mm. but I was then offered it when I went to Roehampton for rehab and that was absolutely essential and I still have it now and I still need those reminders about being kind to myself and not saying the negative things to myself because I do it all the time Mm. I get frustrated by situations so when I drop something I'm very hard on myself and my husband has to point out, well, of course you dropped it. You've got no hands, mm. you know. So um, I'm still working on that one mm. and I still will be. And I still have the psychological support from Roehampton and it's absolutely essential. I just have phone calls now about once a month and it's brilliant. Mm. But I have a lot of friends. Um, I found doing my blog was really helpful. Mm-hmm. So I kept a Facebook blog actually from just before my second amputation of my arms 
um, I did my first one voice typed over the phone to my daughter. And that has been really useful to see the progress I've made. Mm. I've had a lot of one-year anniversaries and seeing myself a year ago practicing balancing or walking with a walker, it helps me to realize how far I've come. Yeah. And then I got lots of positive feedback. I think a real breakthrough for me was when I got my first body-powered arms, which are very much like the ones World War I soldiers had, their hooks. I put them on and I've been desperate to get these. I put them on and I cried mm. because I felt they made me look so disabled. But I got my OT to take a photo of me wearing them. And when I had the courage, I put it up and explained on my blog how I felt. And the positive responses I got then were so helpful. Mm. Yeah, And I'd encourage people to do that, to actually put it out there and I do post my bad days as well mm. I've got a bad day yesterday to post um, because you have to recognize that that's the reality that I'm not always smiling and happy I usually am because that's the person I am mm. but I have my bad days and I have my bad times and I have to accept that and I have to let other people accept that as well yeah yeah. And Kim, one of the techniques you worked through with me was acceptance commitment therapy. And so I wanted to ask you to explain kind of how that works and the benefits of it specifically for amputees. Yeah, acceptance and commitment therapy, often called ACT. Um, and it is about accepting what is out of your control, really. And that's what we find really difficult. And committing to actions that improve and enrich our lives. And that's through our values. Mm. Um, and it's about being, it's quite interesting. It's about being flexible with those thoughts, you know, um, because our thoughts aren't always that helpful. Okay. They're always quite normal, actually. Even those really nasty thoughts, they're really, really, they're really, really normal, but they're not always helpful. Okay. So it's about learning that flexibility with thoughts. Is that helpful at this present time? And the, the, the stuff that, that clients do actually like is the values based stuff. And mm. it's about the uh, values are things that drive us that enrich our lives, okay? And they're things like being caring, compassionate, being creative. Caroline, it's quite interesting. It sounds like you're quite creative. Determination. Acceptance most probably was one of your values prior to amputation as well. You're most probably quite accepting and determined person even prior. And it's about actually working towards those values because even as the amputee, your values still remain the same. Just sometimes your goals around those values might change slightly, but you definitely still work towards definitely work towards the values but I think the values stuff sometimes people when there is a loss or when when life is tough because life is tough and sometimes we forget our direction that we're going and actually the values work is the main work that people really enjoy because it gets them back in the direction that's really important to them and um, I think that is is the main part being flexible with thoughts is very kind and compassionate, very, very kind and compassionate. And that is definitely something that amputees, it's really important to be kind and compassionate to themselves because when we're hard on ourselves, we sap that energy 
that is really important that we direct on sort of rehab or working towards our values. So, Mm. yeah, so acceptance and commitment therapy is about being flexible with our thoughts, working towards our values, being mindful. It's interesting that sewing, Caroline, would be quite mindful because while you're doing your embroidery, um, you're not in the past, you're not in the future, you're very much in the present as well as well mm. and it's most probably following I don't know but it may be following your your value of being creative and helping others definitely that caring mm. part of you not only that value of caring is not about just be being caring towards others it's the it's for you to work towards that value it's about learning to be be caring towards yourself and I wanted to ask you actually, Caroline, about more about your sewing because it's absolutely amazing that am I right that you, you can use the machine but also hand sew as well? Yep. Yes, I hand sew with my hooks. Mm. Um and that they're the best tool for that. And I machine sew without any prosthetics. I just machine sew with my stumps. I've been having a little group of friends who come round who were coming around every fortnight to um, pin things together and cut them out because they're the bits I find really challenging. Um, So they do that and then they leave me with a big box of things to go. Mm. I've paused for a while because I found I was getting too frustrated um, because of timescales of trying to get things done for the next time and because your pegs would fall off and then I'd have to put it back in the box for another fortnight to do again. So I've just pulled back from that for a little while uh, but I will be going back to it I've done several sales since I came out of hospital as well wow and tell me about all the other amazing things because did I see you horse riding at one point what, what are the other yep. things you've been I've doing been, I've so I've been horse riding with uh, a local charity that does riding for the disabled and that's been fantastic I'd never ridden before interesting one of my the helpful things my psychologist said was it's useful to do things that you haven't done before Mm. because you don't compare yourself with the past then Mm. Um, and I've done cycling I go to a three-wheeler cycling group I'm hoping to get my own three-wheeler one of these low recumbent ones Mm -hmm. and that's fantastic because it's so easy to move around on a three-wheeler bike and I don't need any adaptation to the bike Mm. I can do it with my prosthetic legs and I have a bionic arm and one of the koala prosthetics on the other hand and I can do it with that so that's fantastic and they're both social things as well yeah um so that's really good and I've just got my dog registered as a pets as therapy dog oh lovely so I'm going to be taking him into the school where I used to work to be a pets as therapy dog for the children there and hopefully back into the ward where I have my amputations because the staff there say it would be really useful for the patients just to have him visit, but also for those who are facing amputations to see me might help them as well. Mm, wow, that's amazing. And do you, you mentioned you have always been a determined person. Do you think that drive has kind of grown since this has happened or is it just the same as it always was? I think it's it's very similar. It's being channeled differently. Mm. So a lot of that drive has gone into rehabilitating myself this past year. But I am constantly looking for new challenges. Um, it's becoming known that you shouldn't say to me, oh, don't do that. It'll be too difficult. <laughs> so when I first went riding and I was offered the chance to trot, I said to the 
because I had guys either side of me, I said to one of them, oh, you rise for a trot, don't you? And he said, oh, yeah, but we won't do that today because it's too hard. So what did I do? <laughs> I rose to the trot. <laughs> so it blew them away a bit. So it's all, I mean, I set myself targets all the time. And a lot of that at the moment is over walking, increasing distances. It's going to be to do with getting used to the new legs I'm getting. It's developing skills with the tools. And I tend to pick one or two of those I'm really focusing on. And tell me a bit about adapting, because when it comes to day to day tasks, you know, you mentioned you do get frustrated. But um, can you explain how you kind of have adapted day to day tasks so that you're able to do them? Um, I've got a very helpful husband. (laughs) So that's the first way. Um, But I mean, things like I develop my own ways. So getting up in the morning, I can now get up on my own, except for putting my legs on. And when I get my new ones, I should be able to do that. Um, so I get into my wheelchair, get into the bathroom, and then I can get down from my wheelchair without my legs on onto the floor. Mm. I crawl across the floor. I've got a step and I can climb up into the shower chair. Wow. So I can shower myself and then I put a um, shower, a toweling uh, robe over my chair so I can dry myself afterwards. Mm. Uh, They made me some wash hands at the hospital. I got them to attach a battery-powered head scrubber to one of them so I can wash my hair. Mm. Um, I've I've had made a pair of spring-loaded scissors mounted onto a block so I can cut fabric. Wow. Um, I'm asking for help to make some kind of attachment so I can put Duke on a lead, but I can attach him to my wheelchair with a cycle attachment. Mm. So you can buy a cycle attachment to attach a dog to. I've got that attached to my wheelchair. Mm. Basically, if there's something I can't do, I'm quite good at finding a way around it. Mm. I must have more gadgets than anyone. Mm. And a lot of them I don't use, but um, a lot of them have been very useful. You know, chopping board with a knife attached at the point. So I can actually chop food. Mm. Um, And I... It, it's learning what tool is best for what job and then practicing. Yeah. Um, if I want to do something, I will find a way to do it. Yeah. I think that's a really great message for amputees listening to this as well, because it is incredible how, as humans, we are able to kind of think our way around things and, and find a solution. I, I think that's a really important message for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And it's so important. Definitely. Yeah. And you were recently awarded an MBE. Is that right? I was, yes. And what was really lovely was that was for the things that happened before my amputations. Mm. So that was for my teaching and for the charity fundraising I'd done before. But I like to say to people, it just shows, you know, I'm still the same person. Yes. So I'm just carrying on doing things in the same way. Like I said, hands and feet don't make me who I am. Mm. I'm still the same person. So, yes, I'm hoping to get that presented. And um, I've had the option of having it presented locally and then going to a garden party next summer Mm. at the palace. Wow. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that would be lovely. And so what would you say then have been your kind of proudest achievements so far? That could be general or it could be since becoming an amputee, whichever you prefer. Um, I think... Raising, helping to raise the money for the village in Kenya. Um, and we've now got a school unit built mm. out there for children with disabilities. Oh, wow. 
which is just so amazing. So there are going to be 150 children in this tiny little bush village of Utangi, which is near Mombasa. The charity is Make a Different Schools Mombasa. And we've built this unit and 150 children with disabilities are going to get vocational education. Wow. Which in a country where any disability is stigmatised is massive. Mm. Um, And I can't wait to go back out there and show them me as someone who's disabled and won't accept the stigmas. Mm. You know, I think that'll be a really powerful moment. So that's definitely got to be one. Learning to walk so well, I'm really pleased about. You know, I did two and a half miles on uneven ground the other week which I was really chuffed about Mm. Um, for a year out of hospital. That's pretty pleasing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I suppose just being here and being happy. Yeah. You know, because that's, you know, just having that positive mindset that says my first life was good. My second life is also good. Definitely. They're different, but they're good. Yeah. Yeah. And what obviously you mentioned going out to Kenya, what are your other kind of to do list? What else is on your on your to do list for future goals? Um, I want to be able to return to the Lake District where my husband and I both loved. And there's a little tarn that we first went up on our honeymoon. Mm. And we went up when we returned there a few years ago. And I'd love to get so I can walk well enough to walk up to Harrop Tarn. That would be amazing. Um, I need to improve a bit before I can do that, but that's that's a big goal for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to be able to return to more efficient sewing, uh, I want to do that because, um, as Kim said, being creative is a big part of me. Mm. And I suppose the third thing is to be able to recognise, because other people recognise it, but I don't, to be able to recognise that I am still able to help others. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, I have absolutely no doubt that you will achieve all you set your mind to, having just spoken to you for this short amount of time. And Kim, how important are goals and milestones from a psychological point of view? Definitely. Goals are really, really important and achieving just making sure we have realistic goals because sometimes as human beings we set really unrealistic goals and we set ourselves up to fail however it's quite quite interesting Caroline what you said with your sewing that you've given it a little bit of a break and then you're planning to go back to it so it's that's quite interesting that you appear really realistic with your goals okay but also you're very determined (laughs) with your goals as well (laughs) there's definitely that part but yeah we all need we all need goals towards our values and and they do need to be realistic and sometimes actually writing them down as well as vocalizing them can help us to motivate us to achieve realistic realistic goals so yeah Mm. it it is really important and what would be your top piece of advice kim for amputees who might be struggling to reach acceptance right now I think it's about it is about being kind to themselves and acceptance. It's mm. different for everybody. But if they're really struggling with it, then talk to someone. Either speak to a therapist or speak to a close friend or a family member or speak to another amputee. An amputee, another amputee will often be able to support you and have more understanding of what you're going through. 
Mm. And uh, so I think actually like the Limbless Association does have um, people who uh, can support mm. and I think actually that can be really, really helpful. So acceptance very different for everybody and it can be ongoing. And Caroline, what about you then for your kind of final piece of advice drawing on all you've learned in the past year and obviously you've come a very long way, what would you like to say to other amputees out there? I'd say look for the positive. Mm -hmm. So actually make a conscious decision to look for things that are good. They might be tiny, especially at first, but just look for the positive. The person who comes in and smiles at you, Mm. you know, the fact that people want to come and talk to you, look for those things. Mm. Because if you focus on those, it makes you happier. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you both so much for speaking to me today. It's been really, really amazing to have you both on and I'm sure many people will find this incredibly helpful listening. So remember, to find out more about the charity, you can find the Limbless Association on social media or you can visit our website www.limbless-association.org. See you next time.